Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oliver Wayman's Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Welcome to Reinventing Insurance. Today, I welcome Karin Soroya, who is a serial intratech entrepreneur and is going to tell us all about it in a second. Welcome, Karin. Thanks for having me, Paul. So why don't you start by briefly introducing yourself, Karin? Yeah, I've never been described as a serial insurtech entrepreneur before. It's very specific. How does that, how does that sound? <laughs> I don't know how it makes you feel, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am a serial entrepreneur. You know, I started my career as an Oliver Wyman consultant in, in financial services and then uh, got the bug to start building things of my own accord with friends from high school and from university. Ended up building an e-commerce marketplace called Stylekick, which served uh, and served basically high-end fashion to about a million active users on a small screen. So I built a, a, a true e-commerce marketplace. We ended up being acquired into Shopify. So uh, you know, as part of Shopify, I worked on experimental consumer-facing products, uh, kind of the precursor to the Shop app and a, a number of other things. While we were there, while it was amazing, that team, uh, super strong, especially um, being nascent in Toronto, at applied and joined Y Combinator with a relatively early idea for an insurance, pro uh, a consumer insurance product uh, called Cover that started under the basic premise of take a picture and get, and get something insured. So take a picture of your car or your cat or something like that. And the, the idea there was build a lead gen business. We had a, a skill set and a toolkit to drive millions of people through our apps. We built really elegant products. Over time, it became super clear that we needed to own more of the customer experience and eventually, you know, ended up scaling a national insurance agency and then an MGA business focused on a certain subset of our customers. Kind of out of that, you know, we, I learned a lot more about insurance. We got to understand the insurance value chain in a much more detailed and intimate level, having spent seven years scaling an insurance business. You know, got to meet an incredibly uh, you know, broad variety and large number of very smart people. And keyed in on kind of what we wanted to do next, which was build a fully collateralized on-chain reinsurer, which we took significant inspiration from, you know, from our partners when we were scaling up cover. And that's it's kind of been the journey over the course of the last 10 years, building three businesses. Super excited to have you, Karn. And, and you know, as we were prepping a little bit for this episode, I think we, we dug into so many exciting things. I trust that our audience has a lot to, to learn about, first of all, your journey and also your take on, you know, what's what's up with the intratech space and your broader thoughts on the on the insurance uh, industry. What are the cool, exciting technology breakthroughs that you're you're watching out for? I mean, obviously, last year, Web3 was kind of all over and, there, you know, it, it's been more or less in the press with everything that has happened, generative AI. And AI more broadly has been taking over as I feel like the number one topic in the press. What's catching your eye? What do you think people should really kind of pay attention to now? I think um, while, you know, you've had a couple of blow ups in crypto, right? You, and, and generally speaking, that's kind of taken a little bit of steam, you know, out of, out of that engine for, for a little while. What, it, what it's done is force people to go back to the bunkers, right? Like you, you can no longer build things that are predicated on like Ponzi economics, a trading of digital assets against one another that don't have a basis or claim to real 
you know, real economics in the in, in kind of the real world. Now what you're seeing is kind of like tokenization of real assets, of real estate, of illiquid asset classes. You're seeing folks think about... You were, you were telling me about yeah. tokenization of bottles of wine, I think, that time. Yeah, yeah. But bottles of wine. If you, think, if you think about when people care about providence, you know, real assets should be moved with their digital representations, right? To, to, to prove, um, you know, providence or, or title, this should happen for everything. There, there's just no question about it. I live here in San Francisco. I'm, I'm you know, I think... We're increasingly excited about autonomous vehicles and the, the shift to fleets. I guess, you know, hop in a, a cruise and it, it freaks you out initially, but eventually you just don't care that there's nobody in the front seat and things are driving around. Insurance itself for, with AGI and, and, and like, uh, you know, these, these large language models has a lot of structured data, right? If, if there's a place for this to happen, it's probably an insurance because uh, you, you don't need necessarily need to index all of the world's dollars. You've got a very niche set of, of data held within, you know, these clusters and these organizations that should be willing, um, if they're thinking about what happens into the future, um, you know, c- conversion of these technologies, be acting right now, spend the money, spend the money on compute, train these models, right? It, it, should, it should be happening right now. So lots of exciting things happening. I think AGI, um, you know, once you get past like the 20% hallucination rate uh, of the output of some of these models, it's only going to get better. There's just no question about that. And then it's going to become a question of how adaptive are you, right, as an individual and as a company to effectively being extended as a human being, right? Scaling as a human being with discrete new functions that enable you to do awesome things in very short periods of time. My personal take is generative AI, at least at this point in time, should probably be in this direction where it's not necessarily a replace, but it's an augment, right? And you, you, you get to really focus the, the human, the highly valuable and expensive human time on, yeah. you know, re- verifying, reviewing, augmenting what the generative AI. Yeah. Yeah. You think about who works at insurance companies and reinsurers, like a part of a lot of what they do is not necessarily pure science, right? There's a lot of art to it. Um, and so I, I generally agree that, yes, it's an augmentation process and the people that are coming up with unique insights um, are going to be valued much more highly. Somebody needs to create, you know, the, the training data. What's up with the intratech space and your broader thoughts on the, on the insurance uh, industry? Let's start with cover, right? Yeah. So tell us a bit more about this. I know you, you were saying already, hey, it started with lead gen. It became more of an agency. So, yeah. you know, what prompted that evolution? You know, what did you kind of get right along the way? What were some of the tumbles? Tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, sure. I mean, all the, the entire evolution of cover was kind of born out of what we thought that the customer wanted over time, right? And, and so initially, when, when myself and my co-founders, who knew nothing about insurance candidly, built cover, and it was a simple camera app, um, the idea was, hey, if we can find novel ways to attract customers, we can find eventually find novel ways to sell them insurance or connect them with agency partners or the like. And that just as a general premise turned out to not be true, right? Like the, the, gen, the you know, digital channels um, lend themselves to a particular type of customer that have generally different expectations around, um, you know, speed uh, of conducting a transaction, general ease of use, being able to avoid talking to people if necessary, texting people. And, and so 
you know, the, the evolution from a Legion application to a national insurance agency was basically we need to control the customer experience uh, to the extent that we can. And so we, so we did that, you know, and, and that constituted a, somewhat like a, a soft pivot because we had to go get licensed to understand the insurance business outside of peer distribution. And that, that was no, you know, small lift. It was a, a pretty heavy lift to get appointed across the country, to get licensed across the country. But it did open up our ability to turn ourselves into kind of an eat what, from an eat what you kill business into one that uh, was more of a recurring revenue business uh, with a much more tangible relationship with the end customer. Let's go to yeah. the, the next chapter for you and with Re. Yeah. So maybe why don't you tell us a little bit about what Re is and, and how it came about and maybe how it builds on some of these lessons that you're sharing as well. Sure, sure. So, so as part of the, the journey uh, of building cover, I got to meet a lot of really smart people in reinsurance, right? You go to InsureTech Connect or you go to any of these conferences, the, the reinsurers are really, really well represented. And you start to think about, you know, why are they there? Why do they care about all these like really tiny, tiny, small startups? And, and, and I think the, the truth is that while the primary insurers are the reinsurers customers, right? They're actively looking to, to, to kind of foster the next generation of potential customers and build direct relationships with them in a way that pro, you know, probably wouldn't be possible if people weren't standing up businesses from first principles, right? So got to meet, as a result of this, got to meet a lot of really smart people in reinsurance, got to know a little bit more about the culture uh, around performance, uh, both financial and, and from scaling an organization. We're lucky enough to have some fairly competent reinsurers on our reinsurance panel that were open about helping me scale and understand the reinsurance business. And, and effectively, um, you know, what we, what we learned was that, hey, like there isn't that much technology, especially outside of the top four reinsurers that's supporting these types of businesses. And, you know, internally, we, we were very, very interested in DeFi, generally speaking. Um, and, we're think, and, and we're thinking about how do we bridge like these two general interests, right? Uh, so, you, so you you look at the overall market, you have these monolithic reinsurers, Munich, Greece, Swiss Re, you have marketplaces like Woods of London. And we we ended up thinking about, well, hey, there's this massive pool of potential capital that we can access that's looking yeah. for, you know, a return that is not correlated with what's, what's happening on the NASDAQ, not correlated with what's happening within crypto asset markets. And a reinsurance market that under kind of under our feet was shifting because of social inflation. Uh, catastrophic losses. Uh, and so it was an opportunity from a dislocation perspective for us to stand up a, a new market effectively. You're using Web3 or decentralized finance you know, technology to essentially enable that many-to-many -many relationship between those looking for capital to back their risks and th those having that capital, right? Yeah. And, and, the, and all of this being available on a smart contract means that all of the terms and conditions are kind of out there on your platform. It's all transparent versus, yes, you know. You know that's correct. Yeah. So, so the, the idea here is transparency begets liquidity, right? Our partners on the seed side, the insurance company side, want to know that we've got the capital that backs the programs, you know, sitting around in the 114 trusts or what have you. The investors want to know what risks we're on. And regulators, rightfully so, probably deserve tooling that helps them understand exactly uh, you know, what's on risk and what capital is backing those risks at a given point in time, right? Um, so these, these types of tools don't exist um, and, uh, and are now going to exist or in the process of existing. 
Um, and because you've effectively turned these insurance programs and these reinsurance treaties into smart contracts, you can do really interesting things like tokenize the underlying, right? Re recreate the entire insurance-linked securities market on chain uh, in a relatively trivial way. Um, you can do things like tokenize your surplus capital, right? Uh, so you can effectively enable asset-based lending in kind of a crypto format. What's up with the intratech space? And I, I think we talked a little bit already about, you know, yeah. lots of things that happened. We've had some giants, you know, that got amazing valuations and IPOs and, you know, tumbled uh, on the other side. And, you know, right now, obviously, we're in a different economic environment as well. Can you expand a little bit on, you know, what, why that has been, why, why things turned out the way they did and, and, and potentially what's the right model going forward from your standpoint? Yeah, so so I think the technologists building InsureTechs are directionally correct with what they are building. They have not done well at the basics. The basics of like a, what by the basics I mean mapping to economic outcomes that make sense, right? So with it, if we're just to paint InsureTech broadly, like uh, the 2.0, a significant amount of the scale that came out of these companies is by underpricing insurance, right? And I think. Uh, on the venture side, like what super what was super exciting was hey top line is growing really really quickly and like hey we can get behind this because now there's optionality you have a, a larger customer base you know perhaps the narrative was like there's there's unique, unique tooling or unique distribution that's kind of coming out of this but if you peel peel it back um, you know a lot of these folks are effectively in a commodity business right um, competing on a, a commoditized basis. Uh, with folks who are generally price sensitive, right? Like if you look at any of these models with renters, homeowners, auto, the homeowners are a lesser extent, but auto insurance, homeowners certainly within the catastrophic sense, you know, they're competing on price. And so, you know, where do you go from there as a kind of a new market entrant who's going to be paying the penalty for adverse selection as you're trying to scale up a book of business? And I think that was lost on people for, for quite some time. Um, I don't know that I believe and or lend heavy credibility to MGA businesses or startup insurtech businesses that come out out of the gate uh, without significant expertise on the underwriting side that say that they're going to beat the market. I feel like it's just difficult, right? You could argue that you can scale a business that's much more efficient from a, from a headcount or administrative expense perspective. Um, you're, stock, you're stock full of technologists that build elegant experiences and eventually all of that kind of, you know, converges, you get mean reversion and people are forced to kind of catch up. But without the basics, like getting the LTV to CAC right, making sure that your loss ratios are respectable, that you've got a compounding book of business, the retention um, is on point, that you're able to move from a single product to multi-product, uh, that you're able to solve other problems outside of the insurance realm for your customers. I just don't see that happening, right? And I, and I think... Um, what needs to change from the last five years to the next five years, you kind of get have to get out of the hype cycle, right? Like you, you can't just get away with, hey, here's a general idea that I have as a InsurTech founder. Um, I'm going to put out a press release about it and, ne and never deliver, right? Like that has happened over the last five years repeatedly and it's been repeatedly forgiven, probably a zero interest rate phenomenon, right? The next five years is largely going to be about execution, right? Like what actual tangible value are you creating if you're a SaaS business with companies, uh, in, incumbent insurance companies and your customers, if you are an upstart and a competitor, if you're a substrate business like us, you know, what is different? Are, are the economics 
do they have a reasonable chance of ever converging to something that is a going concern? And I think that's going to be the mindset here because cost of capital is no longer, you know, de minimis. And so it, it, I, I think there's going to be a, sig- a significant rise in the success of folks who are focused on operating excellence, right? And, you know, the pendulum is probably going to swing more in the direction of profitability versus growth. Don't get me wrong, the expectations for growth and the ability to compound quickly are still very important. But without the seed the seed of profitability of the path, if an entrepreneur does not have a good understanding of what levers are necessary for them to get to profitability, it's going to be challenging. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, operating excellence being the, the focus, do you feel like there is room for either or potentially both uh, you know, new insurance businesses, right? That are going to be, I mean, direct, I mean, that are going to be offering retail or commercial solutions, right? Or, you know, to your point, I mean, SaaS technology providers that actually work with the incumbent base on these same problematics. I think they're going to be both, right? Like it's, it's not as if like this is Thanos and there's going to be a, like a snap of the fingers and half of the industry disappears overnight, right? Like the, these businesses were built um, to compound over time and have a, have a certain durability to them that, you know, in many other industries, it's just not possible, right? Um, and so kind of the, the problem and the solution is time is your friend, right? So like, the, I think it really comes down to who continues to have urgency around fundamentally changing the DNA of their business if you're an incumbent, right? Who has the urgency of solving those problems for those incumbents? Or if, if they, you know, want to go with the higher risk, higher reward potentiality, then, you know, build something from scratch that is that is competitive or acts as kind of like a, a foundational layer for the entire industry. You mentioned, obviously, you, you have strong ties with the Y Combinator. You obviously are engaged with a range of investors do you see the mindset having changed the same way on the on the investor side uh, towards Intratex? I would say um, four months ago, things came to like a screeching halt, right? And not just necessarily in the Intratex space. You'd look at fintech valuations and anything that's kind of, you know, you're you're building a neo bank or something that's predicated on uh, revenue being dr- driven by interchange fees that were being that were being valued like SaaS revenue, kind of. I feel like with a minus 80, minus 90, minus 95%, you know, uh, dot-com like outcome, uh, dot-com bubble like outcome, folks are probably going to look at quality of revenue um, and, and things of kind of that nature moving forward. Flash, you know, forward to today, still a relative, you know, still kind of on shaky ground, but folks are cutting checks again. Um, I, I think that you we we need to be able to disconnect the real things that are happening, like the amazingly interesting things that are happening within Web3, within it, with AGI, you know, and the convergence, all of these trends. It's an exciting time to be alive and it's an exciting time to be part, to be building things. Generally very optimistic. And I think that, you know, if you're going to bet the next 10, 20 years of your life, you're going to do in technology, right? Like there, there is no other place where I, I would place my chips. It's like a significant concentration bet, certainly for me over the last decade, and will be will be so for the future. If we talk about the you know the risk landscape and the insurance landscape, I mean obviously you know the to your point, interest rate and macro environment is wildly unpredictable these rate these days. There's more cat risks, 
or more frequent cash risks than before. There's a lot of uncertainty, you know, in many different fronts. What do you see happening in the insurance industry? Who do you see as winning or potentially losing? How do you see the, the broader insurance space evolving? I was thinking about this in the context of the reinsurance business. Um, folks are going to want to be more diversified, right? Like, like if, if you're if you're a sedent or um, you know you're a primary insurance company and you're, you you seek reinsurance, I think you're likely to err towards hey greater diversification, um, you know new sources of capital uh, that are persistent and reliable uh, in a demonstrated way. Uh, and I think insurance companies and reinsurers are pretty good at risk management, like, you know, asset liability matching and duration, uh, managing duration risk. Um, but an increased emphasis on that uh, in a market where there's significant rate volatility, right? Because the, the, the rate volatility, the underlying ability to earn a return on your, your investable flow dictates some of your, your business strategy around pricing and underwriting to some extent, right? Um, and so, you know, like we will see. Uh, it, it, you know, you, you, you can kind of assume shifting sands for the next little while. Um, and, and folks are just going to have to be pretty laser focused on risk management and diversification. Where are you at today with RE and what's your, what's your ambition over the next yeah. 12, 18, yes. 24 months? So it's been a quick start. Um, you know, we went from zero to 35 million in premium in a couple of months. Probably could have written, you know, five, six times that. For, for lack of one, you know, some of what we talked about before, scaling too quickly can be, you know, dangerous. It, uh, we've been able to attract pretty significant expertise in the reinsurance realm into, into re, you know, the other learning that I kind of got out of cover was that I probably should have hired, we ended up hiring, a, you know, a fair cross-section of the Mercury insurance team at cover to run insurance operations. And I think definitely we're, uh, you know, Uh, exceptional and changed the business in a good way. And I wish that had happened a lot earlier. At re similar premise here, you know, I don't think that a bunch of technologists entering a, a business that is largely an apprenticeship driven model um, are going to be able to like overturn the tables, <laughs> like, uh, uh, it, it, you know, right, right out the, right out the gate. And so what we've endeavored to do is bring on folks that have deep, deep expertise in the space that have indicated uh, or at least demonstrated a way uh, for us to set that they're, they're adaptive enough to understand what we're building and they can work with us hand in hand and kind of go there. But as of today, Rebacks, you know, tens of thousands of small businesses. It backs workers' compensation programs. It, it's looked at agricultural deals. It's, it's looked at cyber liability deals. The Wall Street Journal headline is, you know, uh, a, a DeFi protocol could back a quarter of all American households, right? Like, a, and that, that's really exciting because we can do this kind of with a global mandate now. That's pretty cool. And so, you know, we talked about a few things. You were talking about vertical integration, you know, yeah. going, going big, uh, quicker. And you talked about here hiring, you know, the kind of industry expertise early on as well. Any other serial entrepreneur secrets that you're kind of applying to, to really right. from what you've learned beforehand? You know, I, I, I said this a couple of times, but everything is kind of compost, right? Um, so so the, the beauty of serial entrepreneurship is that you have these like learned secrets, right? And par part of it is constructing a business and the individual functions and kind of cutting through the noise and getting really focused on what is it, what is it that you want to execute on. And that's just the, the general construction of the business. Uh, and then, you know, if you've got years within a particular industry, Um, and you've fought for years 
you know, you, you've surrounded yourself with people who have spent years building something like their lives depended on it. Inevitably, you're, you're going you're gonna to be able to uncover things that you can kind of build into. So probably the most critical thing has always been hiring, right? And then, and I, and I mean this not in the sense that it's like hard to find good people. It is hard to build a cultural composite of people that drive a performance-related culture. Right. And for me, you know, when we first started, we were just thankful to get engineers and to get product managers, folks that were aligned with the vision of what we kind of wanted to build and were able to ship. Over time, you know, culture fit, you know, the scalability of individuals uh, under duress, you know, demonstrated duress really mattered. You know, the ability for folks to hire because, you know, to hire to a particular bar because eventually it becomes a distributed practice. The ability for people to performance manage people up or out, right, became very, very critical. And I think that that's probably outside of founder conflict, building building startups, it's usually, you know, who are you hiring? Who are you firing? Who are you elevating? And how quickly are you doing it? And that's been like the number one thing that I think drives because, I mean, we're adaptive. We can build anything we want to. We we can pivot, but you you need coordination and capability to be able to do that. And eventually, that falls away if you're not controlling culture and hiring practices. You've been keeping ties with a lot of the, the Oliver Wyman community and investing, I think, with uh, several uh, in, into several companies that are founded by former uh, yeah. Oliver Wyman uh, consultants and OW alumni. Now, care to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's part, partly part of the communities you're part of, right? Um, so, you know, I, I love my time at Oliver Wyman. I got to meet uh, folks that I'm still friends with today, some of whom I've, I've invested in. Did Y Combinator almost outside of, you know, outside of that, do a ton of YC-oriented investing. I'm Canadian, so I end up being one of the ports of call for Canadian founders that are applying to YC, so I get Canadian deal flow. <laughs> you know, and, and so largely, like, where, where do you end up being embedded, Right. Uh, it kind of helps drive deal flow and uh, generally speaking, found that folks who are starting out, either the first, second or third, it doesn't really matter where they're kind of at, tend to prefer operators uh, over traditional investors, generally speaking, because we, if, if nothing else, are empathetic and can map war stories, right? Uh, because not, nothing maps one to one, but the stories that you tell and the experiences that you can share Um, are helpful for pattern matching and kind of getting people to avoid making costly mistakes as they're kind of scaling up a business. So I, I generally, you know, that, and that's kind of my, my viewpoint for folks we bring onto our cap table as well. I very highly prize operating experience. Um, on the Oliver Wyman specifically, though, I, I feel like there's, there's such a, it's such a strong financial service practice and, you know, solving a, a very broad variety of, problems for actors within insurance and, and banking, there should be a huge number of SaaS businesses that are being spun up by OW alumni. And generally speaking, I'm super supportive of it because they get to see firsthand what needs to be fixed, right? Uh, and, and the scalability of the solutions that you put in lead to fairly sizable businesses and, you know, uh, fairly quickly. So I, I'm actually more excited to see a deal flow from folks who are in, in you know, management consulting and in financial services, thinking about the tooling that needs to be built. Yeah. Well, that was, a, that was a super rich conversation, Karin. Thank you so much. My, my final question for you that I always like to ask is, what are your final words of wisdom for? <laughs> um, 
you know, spend your time doing things you really like to do, right? Uh, it, it, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've kind of taken away from meeting uh, lots of execs in the insurance and reinsurance space is, hey, man, like there, there's very little that there's very little that from a, a gap perspective, right? Like, uh, there's the expertise, uh, your capability and coordination, the ability to execute. Just go do the thing you want to do, right? Like uh, so, sometimes it's just better to spend your time, uh, you know, uh, doing as opposed to kind of dreaming. And eventually, you know, you, you got to take the leap. And we've talked about this before. Um, it's super painful, right? Like it's not it kind of kind of an irrational thing to do because the risk adjusted returns to to kind of doing these things, dreaming them up and making them real are not very good. Right. Like, uh, uh, but if you can, if you can derive utility from, uh, from thinking through these unstructured problems, um, building things, uh, that solve problems, pushing forward kind of the frontier, then man, it's a good reason to be alive. <laughs> right. Like, like that's, uh, that's how I think about these things. Terrific. Well, Karin, that was absolutely terrific, uh, chatting with you today. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, of course. And thanks for having me. Well, that was uh, Karin who is, I'll say it again, a serial intratech entrepreneur, a co-founder of uh, Cover.com and Read.xyz. Go, read.xyz. Uh, go check them out. Uh, I'm Paul Ricard. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. For more information about our Reinventing Insurance series, you can find everything on our website at oliverwayman.com slash reinventinginsurance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.